Hey companions, uh, this is Peter. And this is Tom. And this is a pre-recorded episode from our former feed, TV Ape My Brain. So uh, this episode is still there, but we decided to put these on Cobra Kai Companion, so that way you guys get to hear all the stuff that we have done previously. Yes. Basically, it's the same uh, Tom and Peter, same show, just a little bit more directly uh, fed to you. And here it is. Hi, this is Aaron Bradley-Danger, Counselor Blatt from Cobra Kai. And instead of playing Fortnite, maybe try listening to TV8 My Brain. Welcome to TV Ate My Brain, the official TV podcast of Core Temp Arts, the Cobra Kai edition. And I'm your host, Peter. And today we have a very special episode, another interview. Today I speak with Miss Erin Bradley Danger, who played Counselor Blatt. And what was particularly special about this episode for me was she has lived such a full life. She talks about playing in a band some of the other work she has done to include playing a detective in the documentary uh, true crime show called Murder Comes to Town. And obviously, Cobra Kai, we find out a backstory of Counselor Blatt as well, which I think has been on a lot of people's minds. So she does answer that. And she was just a joy to speak with and has so much wealth of knowledge and just a very, very great person to speak to. And without further ado, this is our conversation. Hello. Hello, Ms. Danger. Yes. It's Peter. Hey. Um, yeah. it's, it's a hobby. It fills a certain void for me. And I just, I love movies and TV. Well, that's great. And you're really good at it. So I'm glad that you're doing oh, it, finding time that. for it. So that means a lot. To we me. all have to do that with our creative endeavors. We have to find time. It's important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we've already kind of started talking, so we might as well just go ahead and jump right into it. Um, sure. Now, you know, I did a little bit of, of research, and I know that uh, you kind of started getting entertainment at a pretty young age. And music-wise, was that one of the first things you started doing was playing instruments? or? Yes. My, my mom signed me up for piano lessons when I was somewhere between five and six. We're a little fuzzy on when that actually started, but um, we had a piano in our house and I used to play with it and she thought it would be a good idea. I started with the Suzuki method and which was great. It teaches you to learn a lot of things by ear. And that has been just invaluable to me in music over the years. So I can, in a lot of cases, not every time, but I can pretty much pick out a song that I want to learn and just learn it by hearing it. Um, now I'm terrible <laughs> at reading music, which was the other part of Suzuki I was supposed to learn. But, um, yeah, I kind of got rebellious at a point and said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to play bass and um, learn bass guitar. And so it, it, the piano fell by the wayside at some point. Wow, that's a, a, a very interesting talent to have. I, I once knew a guy uh, when I was serving in the military that would play by ear and he would kind of whistle out the notes before playing and you know I was just in Ooh. awe and I couldn't do that you know I 
I played a little piano in music class in middle school, but I only learned like Axel F, I, I think, which most people learn in music <laughs> class. I remember that. <laughs> that was the extent of it. And I, I did play a little bit of the trumpet uh, in middle school as well. And one of my favorite pieces was the Jurassic Park theme. And uh, I couldn't tell you how to play that anymore, but. I bet it's still in there. If you tried, I bet you could still do it. It's like that muscle memory. Oh, sure. Somehow, especially when you learn when, when you're young. I think the um, maybe playing the, uh, the the trumpet might be the harder part because I remember, you know, it was something about the lips and the, the, the breathing and the blowing. That's mm. I think was a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Wind instruments are tough. Oh, they really <laughs> I are. I tried to play flute once. In third grade, I tried to play flute at school and I passed out. So Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that yeah. Work. Those wind instruments, you know, there's a lot of blowing. So if you're not regulating yeah. that breathing, you can get lightheaded. Absolutely. I prefer stringed instruments. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. You don't have to use the mouth. Exactly. Then you can sing at the same time. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> you've done some singing and some bass playing yourself. Um, you went on yeah. tour in 2005 with the Indigo Girls? Yeah, I was playing um, in a band at the time called the Arts and Sciences. And um, they were on... Amy Ray's record label, which was Damon Records, and I had played in another band that was also on that label, and uh, we had the, the wonderful fortune, they were so kind to us, to take us out uh, for about a week, it was maybe, it was 10 days, I think, total, split up into two portions of the trip, and um, Amy's purpose was to introduce the bands on the Damon label to audiences that would be in their they're part of the country, basically. So, you know, she wouldn't take a Georgia band to California, probably, unless they were already, already had made a name for themselves. So it was a very grassroots effort to go visit these places where you were getting some radio airplay on college radio and connect in person with that crowd. Um, it was a lovely thing for them to do for us and for many other bands. Every, you know, a lot of different bands get little pieces of a tour with them and um, they're just very gracious with their time and their uh, their capabilities like that to to help expose people all the time every tour and uh, so they're really fantastic people that was a great experience and um, a lot of fun to to see what it's like to be on a, a real tour even if just for a short time <laughs> yeah that must have been a lot of fun because they're grammy award winning to the indigo girls and they've been around for a while Yes, they have. I listened to them when I was a teenager and I was enjoying, they had videos on MTV back when MTV had videos. Do they still have videos? No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched that in a long time, but, um, but yeah, I love their music. I remember a trip um, up to New Hampshire that I took with my family and I'm an only child. So my entertainment was always music in the headphones in the back seat, And, um, I listened to a couple of their albums. And so later meeting them and having the opportunity to play music uh, with them, you know, if you've ever been to an Indigo Girls show, they always have people from the opening band come out and do Closer to Fine with them on stage. So that's really neat. And um, I had the chance to tell Amy at one point, um, I don't know if I ever told Emily, but just how much that, that music meant to me. And I have the, you know, you connect music with memories and, smells and images and things. And so that whole trip for me, that that album is just the soundtrack of it. Yeah. And it will always be. So it's really neat. 
I, I know exactly what you mean. I often find myself um, searching for 80s playlists on Apple Music and songs I haven't heard for decades. It, it'll just come to me and the lyrics will still be there, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing I love about music. Yeah. You know where you were when you when you hear those? Do you still oh, picture yeah. what you were doing? I love that. Absolutely. It, it takes you back. It's a, it's. It's uh people don't realize it, but it's an actual time machine. You know, the music will take you back oh, to a yeah. certain time. Yeah, so I definitely have Absolutely. my songs that will take me back to my middle school and high school days. Yeah, that's something that uh, I've I've been training in the Meisner technique recently. I just did a six month intensive at Drama Inc. here in Atlanta, which is a fabulous studio. Um, and that was something that you know, trying to find those things that bring out emotion that aren't necessarily trying to tap into some kind of memory, like a bad memory or something. You want to relive that, but um, having a playlist of music that, you know, tugs at you, it either gets you really excited or it makes you very sad or, or pensive or whatever can really put you in a mood for a scene. And uh, I had a really good time going through my phone, trying to find, what does this song make me feel? It was, it was quite a roller coaster ride in the car that day, (laughs) figuring out, you know, going back to all these songs from a long time ago, like you're saying, from the 80s or the 90s, that they're just sort of sitting there in your playlist and you don't really think about it. And then when they come on, there's that swell of emotion of some kind. Oh, which is really neat. Yeah, that, I think there's one that elicits a um, kind of a, maybe not so much a bad memory, but it was kind of a, maybe not even a bad breakup uh, either, but it, it reminded me of a breakup nonetheless. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's been some time uh, removed that I'm, I'm okay when I hear it. It's actually a, a very good breakup song now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, good memories or bad, uh, that's what yeah. music can, can bring out. Um, what can you tell me about Leggy Limbo? So Leggy Limbo is a nickname that was given to me by uh, a friend of mine. This is kind of a convoluted story. So um, the band that I played in on Amy Ray's label, Damon Records, was called the Moto Litas. And we were an all-girl band, um, kind of garage rock sounding. Um, and I don't know what it was at the time. We just thought that we had sort of a shtick and that these, we, we should just have nicknames. And way before this, in college, um, my friend who was known as Rip Thrillby uh, was in a band called The Penetrators, which is a surf, instrumental surf band. My husband is the drummer. His name is Dick Stetchkin. And they all had, it was like a 007 James Bond operative kind of shtick that they had going on. Because all the different surf bands have little personalities. I mean, there are guys that wear wrestling masks and Uh, you know, like Lucha Libre masks and, you know, each one has their own thing. So that was sort of the penetrators thing was the spy surf and anyone who played with them or was closely associated with the band was given an agent or an operative name and number. And Rip assigned one to me. Uh, I filled in for them once at a show playing bass. And so, um, but they were also friends. So I think I might have earned one regardless, but that was how I came to get my name. And my roommate at the time was supposed to be my twin. And, you know, there was always this backstory to everything. Um, and so that was where the name came from. And he did our album art for the very first record that we put together. And so we, I think we all just thought, well, we've got to just have Rip come up with names for everybody. And so each of my bandmates was given a, a penetrator's name. Yeah. And it lived on. 
I had my license plate said leggy for a long time until I realized <laughs> I was getting some funny looks. I'm like, yeah, no, that's probably not really what I want to put out there. But, um, but yeah, it was all just kind of a fun thing. He had drawn cartoon versions of us and, uh, it was really fun. He, um, unfortunately passed away and, uh, he and his brother both passed away at different times and, and they were the two guitarists in that band. So, um, my husband and the bass player, Trace Luger, are still playing music, not as the Penetrators, but um, a lot of surf bands. They're very well known in surf circles. And so a lot of bands will do tributes to them. And they've gone out to California and played with some other current surf bands. And um, so it's it's been bittersweet. You know, we really miss those guys. Uh, they were super special people. And um, the little things like this that are still a part of our lives that came from that time are really special. So I appreciate you researching that and bringing it up. Oh, absolutely. You know, I thought it was really fun to kind of see some of the, the different names. Um, it kind of reminded me of like the movie Whip It, you know, the, the roller derby girls, and they all had like yeah. special names. It was kind of like that. So Yeah, definitely. Limbo is spelled kind of, you know, with a French spelling. So do you think Leggy yeah. came from like Louisiana or maybe from France? From France, yes. Okay. We were, and my, so my twin sister, whose whose name was Luscious Limbo, which I always thought was funny because she was she's very tall and definitely was more leggy than I was. I don't know how I got the <laughs> the leggy moniker, but um, yeah, we were supposedly um, spies here in the U.S. from France, and um, I'm sure there was a bunch more to the story that I don't remember anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun, and um, there there are many people here in Atlanta. Even though the band was formed in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the Penetrators, a lot of the they played here a lot, and so we, they have a huge fan base here. And a lot of those folks were given names as well. Uh, Bolt Actions, one of my favorites, and uh, oh gosh, and so Trace Luger, the bass player, has two boys, and they are of course Ace and Deuce Luger. So it's carried on. We're trying to carry on the tradition. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. It sounds like you've been playing music for quite a while here. When did you decide to start yeah. your own business? Oh, gosh. Well, the business, uh, I worked as a book designer. My first job out of college, I went to the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, and uh, worked for the university for a couple of years after I graduated at the university press. And they were, you know, at the time, I don't want to date myself too much here, but um <laughs> while we did have computers, it wasn't that old school. Um, we were still doing things like waxing type and, and doing things by hand for the book covers. You send a design, you do the design on the computer, send it over to the printer and, and then set type physically and have it printed. It was a, it was a very different process from what we do now. And I think the thinking was, how does someone do that from home? You know, it just wasn't done. There was no remote working. Um, but I ended up going, I had, started a master's program and was not going to be at Alabama for that. And I really wanted to be able to earn some income. And the press was nice enough to say, Hey, you know, we'll try to send you some books and see how it goes. And I had all the equipment I needed. And it was, I was just really lucky that it was that time where things were starting to turn and I could easily do everything from remotely from wherever I was. And so ever since I've been freelancing for them, I still work for them to this day and uh, as well as the University Press of Kentucky. And so I think that was really where my business started as a freelance kind of opportunity. But I didn't start Danger Design until the early 2000s. Um, 
I had had a couple other full-time jobs in between and just realized that I could do this myself and have a much more flexible schedule. And I have two kids. So um, it was really great to be able to be in charge of my time a little bit better. Um, like you and I were talking when we first started this conversation about trying to balance work, life, home, everything. And it's difficult sometimes to find time for the things that you enjoy, which is so important. Um, and so I, re I remember when the kids were little, staying up pretty late at night, doing work or doing things around the house or doing something that needed to get done so that I could have the next day during business hours available to talk with clients. And it was stressful for a while there, but, um, but it worked out really well in the long run. I have a very flexible schedule and wonderful clients who, um, you know, Indigo Girls being one of them, they are all always understanding of my, you know, they value my time, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And yeah. they know I can handle the work. They don't have to breathe down my neck or set a deadline. I need it. I'm a very driven person though, in that way. I'm, I'm very organized and I'm, I don't like to procrastinate. So I think it's, there are certain personality types that probably do better with freelance than others. Um, it would just work out for me, but, um, but yeah, so I've been doing that ever since. And um, it's really wonderful having a variety of work, you know, in addition to doing packaging design, I have a lot of corporate clients that, um, that are wonderful. I work for a lot of directors of marketing and um, work on their creative communications initiatives, um, supporting with them with graphics and sometimes strategy. Um, so it keeps the, keeps things exciting. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it. You know, that's why I enjoy doing these interviews is because we get to find out a lot more about, you know, the actors. And uh, to kind of yeah. jump ahead a little bit, you know, obviously you, you were part of Cobra Kai. And when I watched the show and your character, I was like, there's no way she is, you know, supposed to be the same age as like Ralph Macchio on the show. Like that woman is my age you know, the, the things they were talking about. Yeah. I was like, there's no way. So, like, with you speaking about your experience and, you know, being in this particular business, your business, I'm just like, there's no way she is in, you know, I don't want, you mentioned you don't want to date yourself. And I'm just like, wow, you know, I, I, I thought you were my age <laughs> this entire time. So. Well, I don't know how old you are, and I'm certainly not going to reveal my age here. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and in acting, too, it's been explained to me how important it is especially as a woman, not to reveal your age and rather to work with a range mm -hmm. of what you play, what you can believably portray. And so I'm, I will say I'm a little younger than uh, Ralph and I don't know how many years younger, but I am younger, <laughs> but it's been really interesting to me even before I had an agent and I was on actors access self-submitting for things like Cobra Kai and the, you know, you kind of put yourself in a range that you think you fit into. And then thankfully I've had a few mentors that have helped me say, no, 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 you can, you can play younger than that. Or you can, you could play older than that with makeup or, you know, so now I think my range is like 32 to 50 or something like that, which seems really crazy, but I, believe um, it. I mean, I just, I auditioned for something last week that the script said 50, but you know, um, they're willing to see me. I'm willing to bring the performance and then they can do whatever they need to, to make me look however they want me to look. So, um, magic of movies, right? So yeah, absolutely. I hate to limit, you know, you know, it's, uh, 
and a lot of times too, I think that writers will have an idea in their minds of what a character looks like or what age they are, but then, uh, or even ethnicity or male versus female. I mean, it could be, they think they want a certain type or person for the role and then somebody auditions and brings them something amazing. And they say, you know what, we can make that work. That was great. And it's totally different from what the the breakdown might've said. Right. So I love that it's, it's sort of open-ended in some, in some cases. But yeah, I don't remember what the age actually said on the breakdown for Counselor Black, but I didn't care when I read it. I mean, it, it came <laughs> to me via email because you put your age range in and it automatically sends you things that are a fit. Nice. And so I, so I was a fit in some way to them, and I was thankful for the opportunity to send something in. Uh, I just connected with her right away. <laughs> I yeah. loved it. I mean, the writing, as you know, on the show is incredible. Incredible. So smart and so funny and just on point and, and at every turn. It's great. And um, so it was really easy to to read that and just connect. And um, I will say that it was funny when I, I got to set. I don't know what they had in mind for her look, but I, I did not audition with my glasses on, but I do wear glasses. And they were like, oh, we really like the glasses. Let's just keep those. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what does this say about my glasses or <laughs> about me? <laughs> Perhaps it makes you look more like a teacher. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I actually bought a second pair because um, my glasses don't have an anti-glare uh, treatment on them. And there were a couple times when we were shooting a scene. They'd be like, okay, well, this time I, we're catching a little glare. When you When you look to your right, just look down slightly as you do it. <laughs> yeah. it. It added another layer to things I had to remember to do in the moment. I thought, I'm going to get some anti-layer. I have a second pair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the show is great. And, you know, you talked about the writing. It's a crime that they didn't get at least a nomination for the writing because I thought I it was so great. It was so great. I know. I'm so proud of them for the stunt coordination Emmy nomination. Uh, and you know that I'm glad that they they were recognized. That was amazing um, in and of itself. But I do I wish that they had had gotten more. There were so many different um, categories that they could have been included in. I I thought, and I am a little biased, I guess, sure. <laughs> but um, I like to think that that's not coming from that place. But they really were deserving. So they they were, and you know there were a lot of other great nominations as well. And um, you know, it's just the first season, so hopefully there's more to come. Um, you know, we're already talking about acting and having played music and starting your own business. What made you get into acting? You you mentioned you also started doing that at an early age. Yeah, um, well, I guess my first, <laughs> my, well, I used to do little skits all the time whenever my parents, as an only child, whenever my parents would take me with them to a dinner party or something, people had children we would immediately get together and come up with some sort of skit to put on for the parents later. And uh, that was always fun. I just enjoyed play in that way and really liked musical theater. I was obsessed with Annie and cats for the longest time as a kid. Um, and so I think even prior to that, like first grade, I got a part in our little class play and loved every minute of it. So there were little times here and there as a young kid that spurred me to do, I did some um, summer camps for acting and also for um, script writing. And we had a lot of really great opportunities in the community where I grew up. Um, I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And uh, 
there's a, an amazing theater there, the Fulton Opera House. And uh, I haven't been back in many years. I don't know what all the different actors groups are there now, but at the time we had a couple of really strong production groups that, um, that would bring actors equity folks from New York to do lead roles and then hire some lead and mostly supporting roles in town. And uh, so I, I was lucky enough to be cast in a production of Here's Love, which is the stage version of A Miracle on 34th Street. So uh, Natalie Wood's character, Susan, when she was a little girl, that was my character in, in that production. And it was really special working with some, some of these New York actors and some of the really talented adult actors from Lancaster and the surrounding areas. And that was it for me once I was on that stage and full house and lights on you and you're singing and doing your whole thing. And it was pretty special. So um, I think just it was music that pulled me away. It was, uh, it was something a lot of my friends were doing. And so I really didn't have a lot of other friends at my school who were doing acting. We had a theater program there, but um, so I think that pulled me in another direction, but I'm glad that it, I came back to it actually because it's a lot of fun. It looked like you were definitely having a lot of fun. You you had mentioned that, um, you know, you had previously been interviewed before, and I actually tried looking at, like, all types of Lancaster <laughs> publications trying to find that interview, but uh, a little unsuccessful it's in that. Old. In that. Oh. <laughs> I have a picture of part of it on my Instagram somewhere, but it's the Lancaster New Era. Oh, okay. Uh, it's the newspaper, and I could not even tell you what the date was anymore. I mean, it would have been in the 80s, but... um. But yeah, they they took a, a terrible picture of me. Which, I don't, I'm like in the middle of a of a sentence or something. They didn't even wait for me to smile for the camera. But um, it was the same person who took the photo took my headshot, so I still have uh-huh. one of those. And yeah, they interviewed me for an article about the production, and it was interesting. We had some promotional touring that we did. We would go to different places around town and sing a couple of the songs from the show. And uh, it was it was done around the holidays, so it was one of those feel good, you know, everyone come bring your family in. So I think it ran for at least two weeks, and then a couple shows a day on on the weekends. And so it was really it was really fun. I enjoyed that, but it's a lot of work, you know. Um, stage productions or lots of rehearsals, and so film and TV was really different for me when I did make the switch. And in fact, um, my scene with Ralph. Uh, who is the consummate professional with so much experience and we're standing there and they're going to do a blocking rehearsal. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And, and it was very much of a, just, okay, we're going to stand here and then you deliver this line. And then how about then we we're going to, they're mostly looking at how the camera is going to be working and, and lighting and everything. And all of a sudden they get done. I realize, okay, we didn't go over our lines for this really at all. This is really just stripped down to what's going to happen in the next, when we actually roll. And so you don't really get a true rehearsal like you do in a stage production. Right. So that was really interesting to me to see. It's just the pace is so different. And I had done a lot of background because I wanted to learn more about film and TV from that side before I even tried to dip my toe in all of this. And so I've been on a lot of large sets, but it's just being up that close to it is different Um, and having lines and 
and a lot of lines in the in the uh, cafeteria scene. A lot of it was it didn't make the final cut, but there's a lot more to both of those scenes. Oh, I was wow. kind of hoping there would be a a DVD with some outtakes, but I don't think that's in the cards. At least not now. I don't I don't know what they might do with all the wonderful outtakes and blooper reel fodder that they must have. <laughs> but they had me record what they call wild lines, which they can insert behind other dialogue in the cafeteria scene where I've been speaking. And then they cut to the different tables of the kids sitting and talking to each other. They use the wild lines behind that as though I'm still talking and you hear it just sort of softly in the background, but their dialogue is in the foreground. And someone had asked me on Twitter, what is it that you say when it cuts to the girls table? And it was uh, one of my favorites is instead of a geisha, maybe, maybe be a successful marketing executive. (laughs) (laughs) But there were, there were maybe about eight or 10 of them that they were part of them. It was typed up on a sheet, maybe four or five, but then the rest of them, they had just come up with in the moment and handwritten on the page. I mean, that's how brilliant these guys are. They're taking in the scene and coming up with stuff that would work for it in the moment and the the last few that they had written down i mean i would i would have to stop laughing before i could record them they were so great but um they're peppered in there but they're kind of hard to hear because that's the nature of it but it's it's just fun that they they take the time to create you know even in in that moment they're they never stop creating it's great um i don't know if you want to jump into that yet but talking about the question that everyone keeps asking me is the backstory Oh, we, we will let the listeners wait a little bit because I want to find out more about you. Okay. But um, yeah, to kind of touch on you mentioning the like supplemental material for Cobra Kai, uh, I I did see a tweet from John Hurwitz that there is a chance, you know, I'm using air quotes, that's what he says, there is a chance for a DVD and Blu-ray. So we're going to definitely cross our fingers mm. and hopefully that uh, comes true. Um, yes. And you mentioned, you know, well, obviously you were, uh, you did stage play as well. Uh, previous interviewees, uh, Hannah Keppel and Annalisa Cochran, who mm-hmm. also did, did stage play and, you know, are now doing yeah. like uh, television. Do you have a preference? Uh, do you, do you like stage play more or behind the camera? What, oh, what is your preference? It's on camera for me, for sure. I did a, a little production at the end of our Meisner, six month Meisner course. And that was a staged piece, uh, part of a one-act play. And it was a little bit of a, of, I don't know, reminiscent, I guess, of, of all the rehearsing and everything that you do to put that on and the audience being there. Um, they're just, they're different. They're two different animals, but I really enjoy, I don't know if it's the, the hustle and bustle of the set or kind of that controlled chaos, all the all the pieces and parts that you can just look around and see how they're all coming together to make this thing happen. It's just so much more evident to me watching that on a a TV or film set. There's obviously all that same stuff happening with theater. So many people behind the scenes and so much that goes into the production. But, uh, and, and I know I haven't acted on stage at a level of like Broadway or anything. So I, I I'm speaking with very limited experience there, but, I just really like something about being on set and I can't explain it beyond that. It's just, there's something really exhilarating about it and watching all the people work together. 
Yeah. It's really neat. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing time. Um, so obviously a lot of the listeners are here for Cobra Kai, but I have one more question before we get into that. Uh, your character, Counselor Blatt, is so much different from something else I saw you in. Uh, there's a documentary show called Murder Comes to Town, uh, where you play Detective Amy Moore in a dramatized uh, version of this particular case. Yeah. Uh, how did you prepare for this role? Because there's also interviews with, uh, she's now Inspector Amy Moore, as I you know, gathered from the show here. How did you prepare for that role? And did you get to speak with uh, Inspector Moore herself? I didn't. It was very much a, um, I don't know that they explicitly said, don't contact any of these people, but it was implied that we're doing this without, and, and I'm sure that they had already interviewed her and had her footage, um, but that wasn't shared with us. And I, you know, maybe going back now, if I had it to do over again, I would have asked. I didn't know to ask, I guess, but um, it would have been really great to see her footage. All I had was a picture of her. And I did some research online on my own, but she had a lovely Southern accent that I probably could have been more true to if I had known that um, in advance. But I think that a lot of that is done out of privacy and respect for the families involved. And they just don't really want you reaching out. You know, my character happened to be one of the law enforcement officers, but a lot of people are playing the victim or the victim's family. And they, they probably just do that as a blanket statement. Like you just don't reach out to these people. They've had enough drama and pain. And so, and that was actually something really tricky with this, that you, you get excited at the opportunity to portray something and, and you're glad that the story's being told, but at the same time, you know, there's still people who are hurt by this and still hurting, you know, the families are grieving for the loved ones they lost there's the victim them, themselves and the law enforcement officers who in, in a lot of these cases have solved the crimes, which is fantastic, but it still can't bring those, those loved ones back. So it's tough stuff. Yeah. And even I found in promoting it when it came time to send out my stuff on Instagram and say, Hey, check out the show. You want people to watch it and, and to remember those people that in each episode are, are featured, but it's also like, you know, you don't want to come across as sounding all excited about your role because it's not about that. It's about telling this person's story and, and honoring those who worked really hard to find the solution, you know, and then catch the killer. And, you know, it's, but it's just, it's really, um, it's not fiction. So it's a really different thing. I was very grateful for that experience. Um, and I, I think in a lot of ways, that's part of the reason I wanted to do the Meisner training. Keep talking about that. Sorry. But um, because you do want to be able to portray someone, even if it isn't a real person, it's, it's a real feeling or a real situation that someone has been in and you want to bring truth to that. So, and I, you know, I think I, watching it, you're going to sort of critique yourself. I mean, that's what we always all, all do, but um being believable and honest. And those are all things that I, I hope that I was able to bring to that with her and that I, I honored her in her experience of that. But yeah, I think it would have been interesting to have the chance to talk with her ahead of time. So next time, if I have an opportunity again, I would definitely like to, to do that. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed that episode very much. Uh, it, it's funny because thank you. Yeah, I actually uh, had seen you tweet out that you know you were on an episode of Murder Comes to Town. I went on IMDb and made the mistake by looking up the title of the episode, and then I watched it, yeah. and I never saw you. Well, it's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong on IMDb. And the reason, I think, for that is, uh, and I think it was the, the network that switched the order of the episodes from what the production company had put forward as their, I guess, their suggested order. So originally, we were episode four, and they switched us to three. So um, now the it, they still haven't changed it on IMDb, and it's the wrong name. So the episode I was in is called Hellfire in the Holler. That's right. And it's not even on IMDb. No. <laughs> um, we had a like 5.4 that we're all connected to, but it's Friendly Foes, which is a different story. So, yeah, if you're looking for it, it's called Hellfire in the Holler. That's right. And, uh, yeah, it's I don't know if they'll ever change that on IMDb, but. But thank you for pointing that out because, yeah, it was oh, kind sure. of difficult for people to, to find it. I, I, I had to point it out because I uh, watched Friendly Foe and then I fast forwarded it a second time trying to find you. <laughs> and then I went on uh. your Twitter account and saw that you tweeted out the actual title of the episode and then I watched it. So so I watched two episodes and yeah. that's okay because it was still a, still a good episode, uh, the other one. But yeah. um for the ones that want to find you is episode three and was it season five? Season five. Five. Yeah. That's correct. So, so there we go. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay. Well, it was, it was a interesting episode for sure of uh, the case I had never heard of, but it kind of not hit close to home for me, but uh, you know, I, I had served 10 years in the, in the army and um, mm. there was a time where I actually was in camp Shelby training and, so there was talk oh, about wow. Camp Shelby in that episode as well. So that yeah. was actually kind of interesting for me to see. Uh, was that on location at all? It was um, that I think all of their shows shoot in Knoxville, Tennessee. And there are actually two production companies that I know of. There may be more over there that uh, that seem to specialize in the crime reenactment drama genre, which is huge. I had no idea. Yeah. People just love these shows. They do. I've had so many people tell me, oh, we, my mom and I watched it. It's like our show that we watched together. And, um, and, and any number of not just murder comes to town, but a lot of the different shows, um, that are on investigation discovery. And there's some on other channels too. Um, people just really love, uh, my guess is the, the, solving of the cold case kind of thing. They, they like seeing that justice happen. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, it was fun going to Knoxville and we were on location in a lot of different buildings and places, but one was really beautiful. The, the scene scenes in the house where the, the parents lived and they have a big front porch that there are a couple scenes that you can you can see in the show and I don't know if it ever really shows the view, but Oh my gosh, it was gorgeous. Just up in, in the mountains. And it was a, a little, I don't know, we call them a farmette. I don't know if you call it that down here in the South, but big uh, area of land with this nice little, almost like a log cabin, but newer. And uh, it was, it was a lovely place to spend the day. I only had two scenes, I think that day, but because we were so far outside of town, we just stayed there the whole day. And it was actually, perfect because um, I had gotten the email the night before through Actors Access about Cobra Kai. 
And I had printed out the script at the hotel, the sides that they, they send you for the audition. And I thought, okay, this is, the audition was due before I was going to be back from Knoxville. So I knew I was going to have to tape it there. And uh, I had enough downtime on set that next day to just kind of go off on my own in this beautiful wooded area and, and memorize lines. So it worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. It, so that all kind of ties into each other. And so you came yeah. across Cobra Kai through a, a website and they sent you five scripts to audition for. They send you one, they'll send you the role that you are a fit for. Uh, I don't remember if I only submitted for, I think it was just, it was just Counselor Blatt that came across to me. Um, but sometimes if there's more than one role that you're a fit for, you can submit to multiple ones and they'll just send you the script for whichever one they think you're right for. Um, but in this case, it was just this one role. And I, um, it had two scenes with a lot of pages of dialogue. Um, it was basically the whole scene for both. So I had a lot of memorization to do. I just, I try my best. They're not going to be upset if you have to look down and grab a line from your script in an audition, but I, I do my best to try to be off book as much as possible. And uh, so I, yeah, I printed the, printed the sides out and worked on them that day. And then my cast mate, Michael Riley, who played detective Martin on murder comes to town was staying at the same hotel and he offered to take my video for me for the audition. Um, but the funny thing is, um, so for maybe people who don't know, when you send in a self tape, you're supposed to have a pretty neutral background and decent lighting and there shouldn't be a dog barking in the background. And you know, <laughs> they want to see your face and see your, your eyes, especially, and be able to hear your delivery. So it's important to keep things as neutral as possible so that you are the focal point and it's all clear and good quality. I could not find a single wall in this hotel that didn't have crazy wallpaper there was one room, I think the exercise room was the only room that was painted and it was red. <laughs> so we're wandering around all over the hotel trying to find a place to shoot this audition. And there was a tiny little corner in, in the breakfast buffet room that had sort of a striped wallpaper that was a neutral color. At least really, this is going to have to do. And the lighting, there was one light coming down from the ceiling right above where I was standing. And if I stood pretty much against the wall, I was fine. But if I moved forward at all, cast this huge shadow over my face. And we just, it was all I had. I've since learned I have a, a light kit that I take with me with its own little tripod and I can attach my phone to it. And it's still not the highest quality, but it's good for travel. So I will never be in this situation again. But um yeah, I did the, the taping and, and Michael was like, you might want to look back at this and make sure that it looks okay. Cause I think that these shadows are a little bit intense. And right when he turned the phone around to hand it to me, it said the storage was full and it was oh, on no. 3% because we'd been on location all day without <laughs> much of a chance to charge the phone. So I was like, well, you know what? I think that this is probably, it's going to have to do. And the performance was there, but the quality, I was so embarrassed, but luckily um, casting had asked, in the in the uh, ecocast that they send out where you upload your files they had asked for us to include a note about when we were going to be in you know, if we were out of town which i was when would you be back and so i had that opportunity to say you know basically apologize for the for the quality of the video knowing that the, you know it's not up to par because you don't want to give a casting director the impression that you don't know what you're doing right um 
And so thankfully, Bajo, who was the casting director, um, was was gracious enough to look past that and look at the performance itself and uh, and give me the opportunity because, um, you know, I really I, I wrestled with should I send this in? It's not good enough. The, the quality of it is not good enough. So I'm really glad that I did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine anybody else in that role because you have such a great Aww. comedic timing that, you know, Thank you're, you. again, Counselor Blatt, she, her and Homeless Susan, I think, are the two most adorable comedic reliefs on the show. And um, Yes. Oh, I heard your interview <laughs> with her. She was great. <laughs> Thank you. Isn't that a fun character? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I definitely would love to see her and Johnny a lot more. But you're kind of the counterpart. You're, you're, it's you and Ralph that have some really great moments as well. You kind of touched on it uh, yeah. a little bit. But uh, what was it like, you know, behind the scenes, considering your character being a school counselor? Uh, did you interact mm-hmm. with, you know, the that were the students more, or did was it with Ralph most of the time? Um, I had just the one scene there with Ralph, and and he was very present on set because, as you know, he's a he's a uh, producer, so. He was, even in our scene, very interested in a lot of uh, the technical details going on. I, I was enamored with how he balanced being an actor and his work that he was about to do in that, and then also paying attention to every other detail going on. It was, it was amazing to watch. Um, as I said before, the consummate professional, so nice, but you know, also it was really clear how dedicated he was to uh, making this show great. Everyone was, the writers, um, the director of episode three was Jen Salata, who was amazing to work with. Um, I just, as sort of an aside from your question, sorry, but um, I'm struck by what an inviting, welcoming, happy set this was in general. I mean, I, I feel like every set has its own personality in a way. Yeah. And uh, there's just, there was something about this set that just felt um, just, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a joyous place to be and everyone was friendly and supportive. And, uh, I don't know. It was really just magical. Um, you know, there's work to be done everybody's serious and doing their job, but everyone sort of had a playful side to them as well. And the work got done and it was fun to do. And, and it shows, I feel like the, that everyone's having a good time doing the work. Uh, I don't know. It was just really special. And um, I think that there's something that goes into making a set that way. And I don't know what that formula is, but they did it right for sure. But um, all the kids, which I call, I'm using air quotes because they're not kids. They're young adults. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think the youngest was what, 16? Uh, um, uh, Gianni. Yeah. And amazing to me how adult like they are. I mean, they are there to do their work. They had a great time together and, you know, we're, everything was fun and smiles and, um, but they were professional and courteous and kind. And I, I also thought being this sort of like, also air quotes, old lady coming in <laughs> from these younger people, they were so welcoming to me. And you had asked about, you know, what it was like working with them behind the scenes. I, I, was all of our holding area was kind of in the same place. It had all the chairs there for us to sit in, but also the video village where you can kind of see what's going on. Um, there were a few cast chairs there that at times we could just go and sit and watch what, what was being filmed, which I thought was really special. But yeah, so we, I would 
talk with Ralph or I would talk with some of the younger people and uh, a lot of the crew. I mean, it was just really a great, a great experience all the way around. But I will say I have a funny story. Um, one day at lunch, which you may have seen this on my Instagram. Um, one day at lunch, I had put my plate down and all the uh, air quotes kids and I were sitting at the same table and I put my plate down, I put my phone down. I went to go get some tea and I came back and my phone was turned differently. And I picked it up. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> I pushed the button. I could see all these, I mean, probably 20 selfies that the guys had taken and Sholo was still had his skeleton makeup on and Jacob had his little facial deformity, special effect makeup on his lip. And, um, and there was a guy who I, I was sad that he, his, piece didn't make the final edit, but he was a cowboy um, at, in the Halloween scene. And they had just all these shots, these selfies of the two of them or, or all three of them together and making faces super close up at my phone. And How it was just, funny. you know, what a nice thing to do. It was fun. <laughs> and uh, it was a fun surprise for me. And as I said, I have kids who I realized pretty early on that I had seen most of these kids before on television and because thanks to my kids watching shows and recognizing and Jacob, of course, right. Kirby buckets. Mm-hmm. And, and we had seen Mary before and the kids knew who Annalisa was. I, I had recognized these kids from TV and they were all kind enough to pose for a picture with me so that I could show my kids look who I'm working with in the school. And they even made a little video for them where they called them out by name and said hi to my kids in the video. Oh, that's sweet. awesome. So they're just, yeah, they're all just the greatest people to work with. And um, I didn't feel, I don't know, alienated isn't the right word. But you think when you're the one of the few adults in a group of kids sitting around, you know, they were they were very inclusive. So I thought that was it was really nice of them. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, again, I had had the amazing opportunity to speak with some of the cast members, and they've had you know just great things to say about everybody, um, you know, that had a part in in the show. So, um, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I wish I was in some capacity was, uh, you know, there, you know, even if it was just to hand people towels after a take, something, <laughs> I, I would love to be a yeah. part of it. <laughs> it. It is a really great group of people from, you know, one, one side to the other. I mean, every single name on, on that list on IMDb is all, um, you know, they're, they're all just amazing, talented people, but also really good people that are, are kind. And, um, I think that has a lot to do with how the show comes across and the casting is obviously very well done for multiple reasons. They brought a good group of people together. Yeah. And, you know, in very little time too. And as I understand it, it was, it was very fast paced in, in terms of like the filming and, you know, not getting a whole lot of time to really rehearse your scenes and just kind of doing it on the fly. Mm -hmm. Which I guess is typical. I mean, again, this is my this was my first uh, speaking role mm-hmm. on a production of this level. I've had background jobs on big productions, but not speaking roles before. So this is pivotal for me. But um, you know, I think that's pretty typical. That if, if there's something uh, challenging, I'm sure two actors might talk to each other beforehand and run lines or something. I, I you know, but in this case, everything was pretty straightforward. Um, especially for someone like Ralph that has the experience he has, this was nothing for him. You know, it was easy. You mentioned background work. Uh, You, you did some um, background, I believe in the, uh, the vacation movie. 
And I haven't seen it, but yeah. did you know Josa, who plays Kyler, was also in that movie? Yeah, I think I did see that somewhere. Um, yeah, we were, I went to that as a chaperone, basically, for my kids who had been cast as background in one of the Wally World scenes. And when we got there, they realized they hadn't cast enough adults to play the parents of these kids. It was going to look like a bunch of children were just running around an amusement <laughs> park unattended. So they asked several of us if we would step in. And I thought, sure, this would be fun because otherwise, as a chaperone, you have to wait in holding while your kids are on set. You don't get to be close to them. And, and as it was, we were shuffled all around different parts of Six Flags to emulate the different rides um, that they wanted to feature. So uh, there would have been no being close to them. So it ended up being a really nice day because I got to spend the day with my kids, but yeah. also being up close to all the action and seeing Ed Helms and Christina Applegate, you know, 10 yards away doing their thing. And um, it was, it was really neat. I think that is probably where the bug bit me again, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought, Oh, this is a great way to learn more having come from a theater background uh, to learn more about what it's like actually on a set, because I, I needed to learn that, you know, you can take acting classes and do a lot of different things to learn technique and learn um, about the craft, but there's just really no replacement for being there in person to see how it all goes down. Right. And uh, so I did several things. I, I was a core background, um, Phoenix agent was the title on MacGyver for the first yeah, season. I saw that. And that was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, so there, there have been several neat opportunities. I, I got to be background on stranger things. Which yeah. Was really neat too. That's, um, that shows a favorite of mine. Um, and there were, but there were some sleepy hollow. You can barely see me. You know, it's a, my, my friends all joke, hey, you have a headshot, but what you really need is a back of the headshot because that's what we're seeing up here most <laughs> of the time. So, see, the back of my head really clearly or the front of my face super blurry. Um, but, I, you know, I would sit there on these sets and take it all in and go, you know, I, I think I could do this. I would really like to try. And so that's when I started getting back into training and took a bunch of on-camera classes at Drama Inc. And um, I just really enjoyed not just the work, but the community that Drama Inc. has created around the industry here in Atlanta. That it, I, I've never worked in LA, so I don't know. But from from what I hear, it Atlanta seems like a much more supportive city. Where yes, it's still competitive, and you still want the role that you're going for. But when the other guy that you remember from a class get, gets that role, you're happy for them it's a very supportive, positive community here. And I've really enjoyed that. That makes it uh, just uh, really pleasant to be a part of it. And when you don't get a job, you're still ecstatic that that project is being shot here in Georgia and it's bringing jobs and uh, opportunity to other people in our community. So I think that's really special about Atlanta in general. I may have to take note and perhaps a, a move is in my future. I, I missed out <laughs> on, I, I actually, uh, was signed with, uh, an agency back in, I believe it was 2001. And, uh, I started taking some classes in Seattle and Portland and, you know, I had headshot and, uh, and all these oh. things, but, but then my unit got activated. 
Uh, I guess this was actually, no, this was 2003 because I got activated and the president at the time, George W. Bush, he, you know, said that we were going to go to to war with Iraq. And so I had to put the whole acting thing on hold and it just, I I never did anything with it. Um, Yeah, even when I came back and apparently I missed out on some background work as well because I don't know if you're familiar with this movie, but uh, The Hunted with Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. Was that shooting in in Seattle? It was it was filmed on in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, they actually okay. went to my unit uh, asking for some soldiers to be in in the background of some oh. of the scenes. And two of my buddies were uh, in it. One is my best friend. He claims he's in a scene, and I've yet to see him. Kind of going back to the story that you were just telling, <laughs> and he was like, yeah. "No, at this timestamp, you can see me." And we're like, "Sure, James. Okay, I believe you." <laughs> Looking back, you know, had I, if I was there for it that time, I wonder if I could have, you know, been there. So, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. Oh, sure. And it was an honor. Secondly, I hope that you'll have another opportunity because it's like in your blood. You should give it a try. Oh, I, I, w- I would love to. I mean, they film Portlandia here. They're, Portland is starting yeah. to come up a little bit. Um, I fr- I'm forgetting the title, but there was just a movie that just came out starring uh, Ben Foster, where he plays a father and there's a daughter and they're kind of on the run somewhere. And that's getting some really good reviews as well. So maybe if the, the right thing you know pops up and I'm free, I will definitely try to get on that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I recommend it for anyone who's interested in acting, and I even have friends who have done it who don't fancy themselves actors. But I mean, you do have to have the ability to react to something truthfully, believably. Um, you know, they they want to put people on set that they can direct. So you have to be able to take direction and be able, as I said, to react truthfully to whatever's going on in that scene in the way that they tell you to. It might not be the way you might naturally think to respond. But it's it's a lot of fun and and you get paid, you know, it's not it's not nothing. Yeah, so yeah. um I think um I think my wife can vouch for me that uh, I take directions very well. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're perfect. You're a shoe in. Oh no, there, there you go. Thank you. Um you're <laughs> the character of Counselor Blatt, I, I'd like to know a little bit more of the backstory. You know, sometimes um yeah. you know, actors are given directions or, you know, sometimes they're just kinda mm-hmm. given uh, they're free range to to add to the character, but um, what is the backstory on on the character of Counselor Blatt? And did you uh, know did she attend school with Daniel and Allie, or you know did she know him from the karate tournament from the first movie? Very good questions. I've had so many people ask this, especially recently. You you must have mentioned something in another podcast that piqued interest with uh, with the tournament or something because I had someone on um, on Twitter contact me about that, send me a direct message and say, I just, I really want to know <laughs> what, uh, what relationship your character has to these others and historically. And so I said, well, I can't tell you now because I knew I was going to do this interview and I'm, I'm going to tell them that they can now listen to the interview for their answer. The short answer is yes. Counselor Blatt went to school with Daniel and Allie, but she's a few years younger. Her older sister is Allie's friend, Susan. Oh. who was played by Julie Fields in the original Karate Kid movie. She's the brunette friend of the two friends that are always with Allie. And uh, this was not in the script. This was something that the writers told me was their vision for her backstory. 
But most of the backstory of Counselor Blatt was right in the script, and um, a lot of it didn't make the final edit, so you wouldn't know it otherwise. But um, let's see. So in episode three, in the dance scene, some of what was cut was me telling Daniel, reminding him that I was there with my sister when he won the tournament. And I revealed that I had had a crush on him by telling him how cute he was in his headband. <laughs> and there were some great lines they had written surrounding that, that I was so sad that they were cut because they were hilarious. And again, the writing was just phenomenal. Um, and in the cafeteria scene, that speech that I gave was actually much longer. Um, and part of what was cut was I explained that when I had attended the school, I had also been bullied. I had bad acne. And the kids called me pizza face. And one of them had thrown pepperoni at me. So at that point in the scene, Bo Mitchell, who plays Brooks, peels a piece of pepperoni off of, off of his pizza in the cafeteria there and flings it at me. But in the way that the scene was set up, his table was too far away from me for him. I mean, a flimsy piece of pepperoni just wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> he was a good shot, but it, you know. Um, so the special effects team actually built this hydraulic apparatus to shoot pepperoni at my face and they tried, they loaded it with dry pepperoni and then they loaded it with wet pepperoni and all these different things to try to get the right trajectory and we had at least two I think takes that worked really well and it would hit my face and kind of fall off and land on my shoulder and I had a reaction to it and it was so much fun I was really bummed that that didn't make it in but um so yeah I think um part of her character and her sort of being so misinformed about all things political correctness and appropriateness and everything that she tries to bring to her students is a little bit tweaked, probably because, because of her background being bullied. And she's very sensitive about anything that could hurt or offend someone else, even if she's completely misguided in a lot of ways. So that's, that's her backstory. And I think she still has a crush on Daniel. Even though Clearly. Allie's out of the picture, Amanda's <laughs> very well in the picture, and I don't know what that <laughs> what that means to Counselor Blatt. Uh, she's an interesting lady. <laughs> yeah, she really is, and I love that so much. The you know the story that you just shared, and I wish we can see that. Um, you know, to kind of I don't want to sound like we're patting ourselves on the back, but that is definitely a question that we talked about on one of our episodes of your character. You did. I remember. I listened to it and I was like, wow, that was a really good guess. <laughs> you know, and it's 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 the line. Again, it goes back to the writing and I feel it's so intricate mm -hmm. that there's a, a a reason that each character is saying something. And just a very mm -hmm. little bit of dialogue with Daniel, she's like you know, I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, yeah, it's it's a bummer that you and Allie didn't make it. So clearly they knew each other back then, or at least she knew mm -hmm. of him. And it sounds like she's kind of been waiting for that moment the entire time. She, yeah, she so. has been waiting for her chance. And, and even though there still is no chance. I mean, obviously she knows this. He's married to Amanda and their daughter goes to her school. Right. <laughs> he's happily married. Yeah. And I don't know what's playing out in her mind that would give her any thought that she would have an actual chance. But I, maybe it was just all those years went by and she just really wanted him to know how she felt or something. Who knows? But um, but that, you know, didn't make the edit. So that kind of leaves things open for other interpretation, too. It made me happy that people could still tell, even without those lines, 
that I had a crush on him. A couple people said that. So that, that was very flattering to me because I thought, I'm just not sure that um, if that's conveyed, but I think, I think it worked. Oh, it, so, it definitely hopefully. does. You know, and suggesting that he could have dressed up in a karate gi, I think that, that mm-hmm. says it all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's great that people are reaching out to you and asking you about your character. Yeah, it's so fun. It's, it's been a joy, you know, getting like all these new listeners and followers and people interacting with us as well because of your guys' interviews. And I just, I can't wait for season two. So that way we get more interactions with listeners and we can kind of speculate more as well. You know, one of our speculations for season two, not that it would happen. And, you know, we didn't hear anything of this, but we hope that Allie can come back in just some capacity, you know, whether she's just... Oh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, just, you know, making a stop, you know, just to say hello or something, you know, because she's a doctor now and happily married as well. But how funny would that be for her to show up and Counselor Black get a little jealous, just a little jealous, you know, and <laughs> see something there, oh, you know? <laughs> there's some good fan fiction lingering so. under that, I think. Uh, yeah, I've heard about some where I get into fisticuffs with someone. Uh, I I made the mistake. I mean, I don't know that it's a mistake, but... Um, of, of falling down the wormhole of reading some of the stuff on Reddit. I, I followed a link on Twitter, which someone said, you're a meme. And I had to go see it. And then that trickled down into, Oh my gosh, you, you know, there's just so much stuff out there where people are taking this and running with it in so many different creative ways. And it's really neat to see. I didn't know that was a thing. So I've, I've learned a lot, but yeah, there are just so many neat takes on, on how things could go. And it, yeah, if Allie came back, it would be interesting. I mean, she wouldn't technically be a threat anymore to no. uh, Counselor Blatt's chances with Daniel, but would she still perceive her that way? I don't know. I yeah. don't, and also, she was her older sister's best friend. So I don't know. It's very complex. It's fun to think about. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that she would, it would be great if I don't even know that Counselor Blatt would be will be part of season two. We'll have to wait and see if that's in the cards. But I think it would be fun to have her gain some of the self-confidence and inner power she seems to lack as a result of her history and her bullying and learn some karate. Absolutely. Now, do you have any, uh, you just shared that the scene with um, Bo Mitchell, was there anything else that was trimmed down or maybe some other... um, you know, kind of behind the scenes stories that's uh, worth sharing. I think those are the only two pieces that I can speak to since those were the two scenes I was in, in episode three, episode five, I just had one, one line where I come in and, and pull Sholo down, uh, Miguel off of the table. And I guess he probably should have been disciplined a bit more for that behavior, but <laughs> that may have happened off, off, screen we don't know um but there there are definitely opportunities there for some speculation about you know does he get in trouble i don't i don't know um perhaps he gets a a pass because he kind of reminds her of uh, daniel a little bit back from high school probably yeah (laughs) and you know there's probably also a connection with her her sort of i don't want to say infatuation i don't know that she's at that level but um with daniel that he was also bullied so right. I wonder if she saw some kindred spirit there in him and and is impressed by the way that he found a way to combat that and rise above it. So I think that's what she needs. She 
she needs some karate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely would love to have her back. Let's uh, start a little hashtag on Twitter, bring back Counselor Blatt. So, uh, oh, we'll, yeah, we'll see if that you. gains any traction there. Oh, I would love it. So that concludes my conversation with Miss Erin Bradley Danger. So I want to thank her again for giving me the opportunity to speak with her, pick her brain. You know, she touched on the acting industry and gave some very great tips. Her stories were just, you know, very, very unique. You know, we've had, uh, this is the eighth interview, and I think each person that's been on here has shared something different. So I had a great time speaking with her. I hope you guys had just as much an enjoyable time listening to her. So as I had mentioned in the show, let's get this campaign started. Go on Twitter, go on social media, and start the hashtag BringBackCounselorBlatt. Thanks to Miss Anger again. Uh, thank you guys for your guys' continued support. Ever since Tom and I started this coverage, we weren't sure how far we were going to go. We didn't even think we would get one interview. Interviewing cast members was the furthest things from our mind. But we have now reviewed all 10 episodes of The Cobra Kai Show. We've had eight interviews with cast members. And we couldn't have done it without the listeners, you guys, the guys who are watching the show and then interacting with us online. It made us go out and get interviews. And with each interview coming out and you guys responding to it, made us go out and re uh, reach out to more people. So thank you to the listeners. And your guys' support is going to keep us doing what we do here. And we appreciate all of your guys' love. So uh, if you want to and have not yet done so, you can follow us on all the social medias. We just created an Instagram account at Cobra Kai Podcast. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod. Uh, there's a link on there somewhere that uh, is a one-stop shop. There's a page that I uh, posted on WordPress that has all of our reviews and all that good stuff too. And we also have a group page www period cobra kai period tvamb group and you spell out the two periods there and don't forget to subscribe to the show on any podcasting catcher app of your choice tv ate my brain uh, there's a bunch of other tv shows on there covered by other hosts as well but you can filter it out and uh that way it just populates Cobra Kai. But if you want to get a hold of me on my other podcast account, it's at Podstalgic, and Tom can be found at The Drunken Dork. So thanks again for your guys' continued support, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe, though the going gets rough, that you got a hand tough to make it. History repeats itself, try it. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.